Support comes from Empower Missouri's Week of Action with in-person and virtual advocacy training for affordable housing, criminal justice, and food security initiatives March 25th through 28th. Registration at empowermissouri.org WOA. From St. Louis Public Radio. This is Politically Speaking. As Missouri voters prepare to cast their vote in the midterm elections, they will face new photo ID requirements that weren't in place for the primary election due to a new Missouri law. The law, which the Missouri legislature passed during the latest general session, went into effect in late August. But two lawsuits aimed against separate portions of the law aimed to strike some of it down. On this episode of Politically Speaking, Marilyn McLeod, president of the League of Women Voters of Missouri, joins the show to talk about that law, why the League is against parts of it, and why they joined the Missouri NAACP in taking it to court. Let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking Podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics. We have to talk about things that matter to people. I've tried to bring that same aggressive iconoclast style with me to uh, the United States Senate. I think my district is a model for the state. We put Missourians first. You just kind of have to find the common ground with people. I believe that this district deserves someone who represents their values. After I came back to St. Louis, I started thinking that I could have a bigger role on the change that I wanted to make. Welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, State House and Politics reporter, Sarah Kellogg. And our guest today, joining me today via Zoom, she is the president of the League of Women Voters of Missouri. Marilyn McLeod. All right. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we have a lot of questions to ask you about this new election law and kind of the work that the League of Women Voters is doing against it. But before we kind of get started on that, I would just like you to kind of introduce yourself to our listeners, for those who are unfamiliar with the League and kind of what the League does as well. The League of Women Voters literally came out of the women's suffrage movement, and that was an effort that took more than 70 years in the United States to give women the vote nationwide. And the reason women needed the vote, because your vote is your voice. And if you don't have that vote, then your perspective, your thoughts, your hopes for our democracy go un spoken. And so it is critical that every person who is eligible to vote has that opportunity. And we have continued at the local, state, and national level as the League of Women Voters, although there are men in our organization, uh, to continue that work. It it seems to be uh, something that is always needing assistance. Election rules are often complicated, and so our job is what we think our job is, is to help people register to vote and learn about upcoming elections, because that's the second part of the voting process. First, you need to uh, be eligible to vote and register, and then in order to vote, it's the best thing for our democracy that every person who votes knows what they are voting on or for. And so we have traditionally provided uh, forums or assisted other organizations in providing, in moderating forums uh, with candidates and uh, ballot issues, for example. I guess there's also a question of whether or not you are a political agency. You are a nonpartisan agency, correct? That is correct. Yeah, we never uh, 
back any candidate or a political party, and we we try to remain totally nonpartisan. It is actually a great thing to be. I find it a kind of a relief to be free of party politics and simply say, uh, this is what we do. This is important. This democracy is important. We care only that people vote. We care only that people be informed. And it is a it is a great feeling to be nonpartisan, actually. And then um, just for our listeners, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into the league. Well, I've been a member for more than 30 years, probably more than 35 years. Previously, I was a librarian in a public library setting, and the two actually kind of mesh. Both of these entities are nonpartisan. Both of these entities care very much about democracy. Both of these entities believe very much in good information and looking at uh, all sides of a question. And so it's a perfect fit for me. You know, I'm not, I am retired now, but it was a perfect fit. So I joined the league early on when I became a librarian and uh, found that we could work together very well. Uh, for example, our local library, and I know this is true in other places around the state, work with their league to provide forums and other educational kinds of events. So it, it's a it's a good thing. Uh, so I kind of want to now get into this law. What is the League of Women Voters position on this new election law that the Missouri legislature passed uh, this past session and, and went into effect late August after the governor signed it? Well, the law passed very late in the session, just about the last day, I think. Uh, and it is almost 60 pages long and had many provisions so some of the provisions actually are a good thing. For example, people can now change their address when they go to the polls, as opposed to having to do it in advance. So that's a, that's a really positive thing. And I think the county clerks and election officials will find that to be a very beneficial. And the other positive thing is uh, there's two-week uh, in-person absentee ballots and uh, no-excuse absentee ballots, and that is a real plus. But the law also contained some other elements that we found to be unconstitutional or we think are unconstitutional. The first is the voter ID. Now, most people will say, well, everybody has a photo ID. Well, people have lots of different kinds of photo ID. So if you are a student, come to university in Missouri, but you happen to have an Illinois license, for example, and you've used that in the past to vote, you will not be able to do that because the law changed not just simple photo ID, but made it mandatory that it be very specific kinds of ID. So it's, uh, Missouri driver's license, Missouri ID, U.S. passport, or other government agency photo ID, but they cannot be expired. And so we know that there are people, uh, most people do have, if you're driving, you have an unexpired driver's license, I would hope, obviously. But there are lots of people who don't have these forms of ID, or it may be difficult for them to get them. And we 
had a study or we've heard of a study that was done about 2017, that there were about 250,000 Missourians who voted but did not use these specific form of ID. And they actually might have used a driver's license or a state ID that was expired, but uh, now they won't be able to use it. There is a little exception in the law that if it expired after the last general election, which was November of 2020, they can still use that, that particular form of ID. But we know that there are people who do not have this. And so why should they be stopped from voting? Just in August, they voted. They might have had the, the card from their local election authority that said they were a valid voter. And why three months later or five months later, they suddenly won't be able to use that particular form of ID to vote. So it's very confusing for the public. And it seems uh, very unconstitutional because the Missouri Constitution guarantees that right to vote. And so why would you be stopped from voting at this time? Because you don't have that specific ID. What documents do you feel should be enough for someone in Missouri to present in order to be able to vote? Well, certainly uh, there was a range of documents which allowed for uh, possibilities that people might have certain kinds of, of specific documents. So certainly the student ID, expired IDs for sure, uh, the, the card from the uh, election official, um, and there are a few others, a bank account statement, a few others that don't have a photo, but would be rare that anybody would use um, without authority, shall I say. So um, the point is, there's no voter fraud. That's what this law was intended to stop, but there has been no in-person ID, uh, photo ID kind of fraud. So there's no reason for it. So why would you want to stop people from voting? And that's what we are fighting for, the right of everyone to be able to vote. You mentioned student IDs as one that wouldn't be, you know, accepted. So students would be mm -hmm. impacted by this, uh, by this law. Who else do you feel will be impacted by this change in requirement? Well, there could be a lot of senior citizens who are no longer driving who actually may have a photo ID. They may. We know of. I know of someone locally who is quite concerned about this, whose driver's license was six years old not dry, haven't, hasn't driven in that period of time, uh, has some physical disabilities and uh, hard to get a new state ID. So he had a photo ID. He used it, I'm sure, or some other form, probably voter registration card at the last election, but, but then found out that wouldn't work. And so for someone who may have voted for uh, 70 years, would suddenly not be able to vote. So people in uh, retirement types of settings where they're not uh, driving anymore, um, people with disabilities, there, there are lots of people who would be affected. And in fact, they are people who probably need to be able to vote because their, their particular needs need to be heard. There's, you know, the argument that the state has a process of providing valid photo IDs through the secretary of state's office for, for citizens who have them. 
I mean, would you want to talk a little bit about that process? Have you heard much about voters seeking this out? Well, interestingly enough, this particular legislation deleted the requirement for the Secretary of State to provide uh, widespread information about the changes in the law. However, they do offer this service, which is a really positive thing. And I would definitely encourage people to seek it out. I think they need to publicize it more. I don't know that that many people know about it. We've been trying to share that information with the public because it it would really be helpful. And any way that uh, would would make it possible for people to get these this uh, other this expected and required form of ID is a good thing. It can be difficult, um, and I believe that they say the Secretary of State will help people get underlying documents. So for some people, that may not be difficult to do. If you were born in Missouri and you are a male person and haven't changed your name, you might be able to get your birth certificate, original birth certificate, if you don't have one, and they will be needed when you go for either a driver's license or a state ID. If you're a woman who's or, or you were born in Missouri, or you're a woman who's changed your name, <clears throat> maybe uh, got divorced and changed your name again, maybe this was done in another state, you would have to get those underlying documents. So uh, that can be problematic. Now, the Secretary of State offers this service, which I definitely think should be promoted. But it's a time consuming. So there's only, we're a couple of months between August 28th to November 8th to be sure to get all those documents in time. So that's, that's another issue that probably needs to be raised that this took effect way too soon after just having had a previous election. You know, you mentioned the, the requirements to promote. So have you seen a lot of just notification that there is this new requirement? Kind of talk about, like, the awareness of this. Have you talked to people who say, oh, I didn't know this? I'm curious kind of how outreach has been on, on these new requirements. I think people are confused. That's more the issue. And uh, we've done promotion. I know newspapers have done promotion. And probably a lot of the local election officials have. Let the word out. You know, I know certainly where I where I live, our local election officials send out this information to all registered voters. So uh, it's coming in from that side. But, you know, it's about timing. If, if you don't have that ID and because of this short time frame, you may not be able to get it in time. You know, Secretary of State Jay Ashcraft, who, uh, politically speaking, is having on the show soon to talk about this, actually, the same law. You know, he says this law makes it easier to vote, but harder to cheat. What do you kind of what is your comment on that? There's been no cases of cheating. So particularly, you know, with an ID problem or, you know, in person. So I we just don't see the need for this. And so the downside is to stop people from voting is it really worth the you know this concern that there may be fraud or cheating when there isn't any and put that against the possibility that as many as 250,000 
eligible voters might not be able to vote. So it's about priorities. And our priority, certainly from the league's point of view, is everybody should be able to vote. There's no sign of cheating. If there is, they should be prosecuted. There is a law about that. So uh, definitely uh, we do disagree on that. And we, and we do believe that this is just not necessary and we'll disenfranchise people. So obviously, you know, with the idea of, of photo ID, people getting turned away at the ballot, a counter argument to that as well, they would be able to uh, have a provisional ballot and then have that information verified. I guess kind of what are your thoughts on this provisional ballot and kind of and that answer? Well, of course, I'm glad that there is that option. It will slow down the voting at the polling place. It will definitely slow down the count. So people need to be aware that final counts on on the um, everything on a ballot will be slowed down because as I understand it, those ballots cannot be counted until Friday after an election. So if there's any close elections, that could be something that people need to realize that the reason that the uh, outcome of an election might be delayed is because of the provisional ballots. Some of the problems with it is it's, you have to fill the form out correctly. It's only available on election day. So if you vote uh, in person, as I understand it, ahead of time with absentee ballot, you won't be able to do a provisional ballot because that's only available on election day, as, as I understand that. And your signature match will be the most important thing if you don't come back with some form of uh, the, the actual required form of ID. So the signature match can be problematic. Say you registered to vote using a, a device, you know, an electronic signature, but now you're you're signing your signature on a piece of paper. Will they match? Or say you registered to vote 30 years ago, you are retired, you're not driving anymore, your license is expired, and now you're going to have to do a provisional ballot because you want to vote on election day, and you sign it. Will your signature match because that many years have gone by, and maybe you have some disability? So it's not a perfect solution. I mean, I'm glad that is an option for sure but it's not a great solution either. And the best solution would have been just to leave the law alone and let us have a range of possible forms of ID as we have had in the past. We need to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. If you have a smart speaker, you have access to the entire world of NPR and St. Louis Public Radio. All the latest news and all the captivating stories. Activate our voices with yours by telling your smart speaker to play St. Louis Public Radio. And we're back on Politically Speaking. My guest today is Marilyn McLeod, who is the president of the League of Women Voters of Missouri. So to get back into it, we've talked a lot about the the photo ID portion, but there are other parts of this law. Like you said, it it is 58 pages long. It is almost 60 pages full of different things. So another aspect of this law is the changes in the voter registration process um, or just registering people to vote. So, you know, kind of outline to our listeners, what are some issues that you see with the changes? What do you not like about them? Well, it's put some roadblocks in our path and some serious concerns. So uh, the first thing is it now requires anyone who does voter registration of more than 10 people in a, in a, uh, it's actually a two year period, has to register with the Secretary of State. 
that in itself is probably not a big issue, but we have hundreds of people who do voter registration. So we had to be sure that everyone completed that form and got it into the Secretary of State. So that, that was an unnecessary roadblock for doing what we've done for years. And we're just helping out our election authorities. Another thing about this law is that no one can be compensated for doing this work. Well, the language in the law is so vague that it is really concerning. It, and we have taken it to the uh, belief that it could mean that even being reimbursed, for example, we have people who do voter registration, they might have to travel, they have mileage. Normally we might have reimbursed their mileage. We don't pay people to register to vote people. People just love to do it. But there are ways that we uh, help people if they might be um, doing voter registration and required to uh, pay parking. And the parking is not just a small amount, but might be you know enough that we would want to reimburse them. Or we might want to thank our voter registration volunteers with uh, some food or something. And the way the language of the law reads, it's very concerning. And um, even we have two staff people, the league itself, and we're not the only organization that does voter registration, but we, we have two paid staff. And so they will not do any related activity because we don't want any sort of chance that they be prosecuted for doing what is really uh, wonderful civic engagement in our democracy. One of the things that was really concerning was that the language in the law says you cannot solicit uh, people to uh, uh, and encourage them to do an absentee ballot and by doing that to provide an application for an absentee ballot, not the ballot. There's, that's not even an issue in this. It's the application for the ballot. The reality is that document is a public document. It's on the Secretary of State's website. It's on the local election authorities' websites, most likely. And it's simply a document that a person would submit to be able to get an absentee ballot. Making it a crime to provide that is astonishing. That means uh, it, it absolutely has to be unconstitutional because this is a free speech issue. So this means that one of the most confusing processes that the uh, election law has is the absentee ballot. Because there are several steps you have to take to be able to file an absentee ballot. And so one of the things that our league people would do is literally help people understand how it works. And now we have to literally say, no, can't do that anymore. We need to just refer people to their local election authority. And that is heartbreaking because we know we want to help people. We want them to be able to vote. And so that part of the law is particularly egregious. You know, I want to back what you said a little bit about the registering. You know, isn't it true that you had to register anyway? Kind of looking at the law, seeing what they added, it seems if you detract the new language that a voter registration or voter registration shall register for every election cycle that begins on the day after the general election and ends on the day of the general election two years later. So kind of it added the 
10 or more. So was it, did you already have to register or is that different? Is that new? You had to register really if you were paid. Okay. That so, you sense. know, there, there were probably organizations that uh, paid people to do that, but we never, that was never an issue because everything was always volunteer and, and it wasn't seen as paid if you, if you gave somebody parking money for parking or, or to pay a um, mileage. So, you know, sometimes legislation is drafted or passed because of complaints from voters or calls for change. Did you hear anyone calling for reform over this? I know, obviously, there's people who who want photo ID, but other parts of this law, had you heard kind of rumblings or asking for changes on the registration process or absentee ballots? Not in general. I'd never heard that. And I'll have to say, I testified many times in this last session on these bills, along with many other people who said very much the same things that I'm saying today with hopes that the legislators would understand the problems and would rethink the parts of the bill. And unfortunately they, they did not. And uh, you, know, we'd, you would hear from uh, one or two people saying this was necessary, but almost always there would be multiple people saying, no, we don't need this. So that was my experience at the legislature this year. So, you know, the league rallied against this bill before it was signed. It's now in effect. You mentioned this a little bit already, but how has this law already impacted the work that the league is doing, you know, even in the, just a the couple of months that it's been in effect? Well, it's, it's, uh, been of great concern. I think there were some people who decided not to register voters because they were worried about it, because there were penalties possible. There are uh, things that we would have done, like the um, applications for absentee ballots uh, that we're prevented from doing. We're having to spend time worrying about lawsuits. You know, nobody likes to file a lawsuit. We sure don't like to do that, but we're involved in that. And so it has impacted on our work uh, in general. You gave us a perfect segue, actually, to talk about these lawsuits. So the league, along with the um, NAACP, have joined together to be plaintiffs in not one but two lawsuits against this law. So talk to me about why you decided to go to court over this. We believe that these the parts of the laws that we are challenging are unconstitutional, period. And that we hope that the courts ultimately will agree. You know, how has that process gone? You know, what standing do you think you have with this suit? I'm curious kind of how how this has gone since that decision and and filing. Well, the first lawsuit that was heard was the one on voter ID. And uh, Judge Beatham from Cole County Circuit Court did dismiss it. However, we will continue working on this and fighting for it because we believe absolutely that the law is unconstitutional. That's the one on voter ID. And the other one, we have not heard anything at this time. So we know actually uh, we were hoping to stop the imposition of the vote, the strict voter ID. And I have to keep saying that because people, general public says, oh, photo ID, everybody has one. But we know that not everybody does or they do not have the very specific ones required in this new law. So because the lawsuit is currently in process, you know, it was dismissed from the one court and then we're working on efforts to continue the process. The law is in effect 
for November 8th. You know, as of this taping, you said uh, Judge John Beatham dismissed that lawsuit with the ability to refile for, you know, more information. What Mm -hmm. was your reaction to his decision to dismiss? Did you feel, you know, that it wasn't a you know good decision? I'm curious, like your thoughts on that. Well, we thought that we had submitted enough uh, information to prove the case. Certainly, the strict voter ID has been struck down twice before by the Missouri Supreme Court. So that alone should have been, why would it have anything changed since then? It's it's the same process, the same problem that was submitted before struck down by the Missouri Supreme Court. So why not now? Uh, one of the things that was interesting was the concept of standing and uh, that the league itself which we did produce names of a few people who would be impacted. But the reality is the league did this for the state, for the people of the state. We didn't do this lawsuit for members of the League of Women Voters. We did it because we are concerned about the voters in general and that they all have the right to uh, vote as they have, as they just did in August. So, this, this wasn't to us about members of the league. In fact, our members, and I'm sure members of the NAACP are probably the most likely to be sure to have the right ID because they know how important it is to vote. Whereas the general public is probably not gen, you know, thinking about it all the time. We think about it all the time. You know, ultimately, the goal is to get this lawsuit to the state Supreme Court. So, you know, yeah, kind of what are the odds there? You know, this this is kind of just a speed bump to get to the greater court. Yes, as far as I know, I'm not an attorney, so I don't know the ins and outs of, of the legal system. But we hope to ultimately uh, prevail because this isn't about the League of Women Voters. This isn't about the NASB. This is about the citizens of the state who we think every eligible voter should be able to cast their ballot. Now, there is a precedence of, as you said, the Supreme Court striking down prior photo ID measures, you know, but then there's this other lawsuit that's on a different topic from the photo ID. So, you know, do you think that has it's a little more unknown of the chance of that because there isn't that precedent? It is unknown. I think it is really unconstitutional, especially the part, you know, all the parts are so unnecessary and just do a grievous harm to the general public because the work that we do is a positive, trying to make democracy work. You know, this is not anything um, deleterious to the state. And on the contrary, it's it's, uh, to make sure all people vote and that we are able to do that work because we are organizations that do that kind of work specifically to help uh, Missourians be able to vote. But something as clearly unconstitutional and a free speech issue as providing an application, a blank application for an absentee ballot as being potentially a criminal offense cannot possibly stand. The implications of that are actually kind of frightening that a public document cannot be given to another person. And this isn't just about the league. It's written, the law is written so vaguely that anybody could actually uh, give an application to another person and might be it might be considered illegal. So I cannot imagine that that would be considered constitutional. 
And that's all the time we have. Thank you so much, Marilyn McLeod, for joining us on Politically Speaking. Politically Speaking is a product of St. Louis Public Radio, which is a part of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. You can follow all of our coverage at stlpr.org. You can follow me on Twitter at Sarah K. Kellogg. And, and Marilyn McLeod, where can people kind of find more information about the league and kind of about elections? You know, we just have a brand new website that we just we just have a new uh URL, which is lwvmo.org. All right. Until next time. So long. St. Louis Public Radio's The Gateway gives you the day's news first thing every weekday morning. From the ever-evolving relationship between St. Louis City and County to developments in the Missouri and Illinois state capitals and reports from our correspondents in Rolla and the Metro East. We put it all in a roughly 10-minute package with clarity and context. Download The Gateway wherever you get podcasts.